0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This week's edition of the podcast features conversation highlights from the 2017 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando. Here's what's coming up on this edition. From Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, information from Steve Douglas who highlighted how God is working through that ministry. Then it's Christian apologetics teacher and former journalist, Lee Strobel, who visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at NRB with his wife, Leslie, to discuss the upcoming movie depicting their spiritual journeys. Plus, from the Pulse Movement, evangelist Nick Hall shared about how the gospel is impacting young adults who desire to see a spiritual reset in their lives. And on this edition of The Intersection, from the NBA's Orlando Magic, Pat Williams visited with me at NRB 2017 and discussed the intersection of talent and passion. That conversation material will be followed by Jeremy Dice of First Liberty, who outlined some of the dynamics of a case involving a former Marine Corps Lance Corporal who faced legal action because of her posting of scripture at her workstation. Finally, from Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, it's Laurie Cardoza-Moore, bringing to light the importance of Christians standing with Israel and information contained within a film the organization has released. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Steve Douglas is the president of Crew and Campus Crusade for Christ International, moving into that position to succeed the late Bill Bright, who founded the ministry along with his wife, the late Fonette Bright. At NRB 2017 in Orlando, Steve Douglas visited with me to discuss how God is at work through various outreach efforts of Crew. Here's some material from that conversation.
1: Campus Crusade for Christ was founded in 1951 by a businessman. God gave him a vision. I mean a specific vision where he pictured the entire world receiving the gospel and that he was supposed to be a part of that. Not all, but a part of that. He started on the college campus at UCLA, and the first year they saw 250 people come to Christ. That was a little encouraging. And for the first 10 years, we zeroed in on the college campuses. But the vision was reach the campus today, reach the world tomorrow. It never was just to reach the campuses. And so we we had our first country we expanded to still in the 1950s. 1960s, we expanded in terms of the types of ministries, like um, we started a lay kind of ministry, a military ministry, ministry to athletes, music groups. In fact, the first music, music group was called the New Folk. That I'll tell you something about the generation. I remember when they came to town when I was in school at Boston, it was incredible we had a thousand or fifteen hundred people and we'd never seen a crowd like that so and that's in the 60s in the 70s uh we had two rather large events called Expo uh, 72 and Expo 74 i was at both of them and uh, hundreds of thousands of people all together between the two of them got trained not just reached but trained on how they could share their faith and i think that korea is an illustration where 74 was that uh a, a a chunk anyway of the growth of the church in Korea was contributed to by the training of 300,000 Koreans. So it seems like a reasonable connection, right? And the church tripled in Korea over a period of about 10, 15 years, right in that zone. And then, uh, at the end of the seventies, the, probably the landmark thing that occurred was the first showing of the Jesus film. And the Jesus film is now, if I could fast forward, translated in 1500 languages shown in every country on earth on the ground. Now, not, not digitally just, and, um, and is actually plans in place to lip-sync into every language over 50,000 and then do a single-voice narration in every other language. And, in fact, there, there's some miracles that are happening. I'll just give you this one story. Some of our workers were in a very dangerous part of the world, and they um, got, got lost. And so they stopped, try to get their bearings, and out of the nearby grove of trees, this man ran out and said, and said you were the ones, you were the ones. And that uh-oh, we are in serious trouble. Okay, you didn't want to be the ones in this part of the world. And as he got closer, he calmed down a little, and he said, two days ago, I received a dream from God. And in that dream, he pictured you, people, just like what I see right now. And he said, go find you, they're near your village, because they will tell you the truth. He said, can you tell me the truth? And the workers of the Jesus film said, sure, we can do that. And they went back to his village, showed the Jesus film to his family, they all responded. And it just so happened, this guy ran the local tea house. If you were in the UK, it'd be the pub, Right. And so, non-stop showing you the Jesus film for some time thereafter. God is working miracles today. Although evangelism is very central to who we are and what we do, we really zero in on spiritual multiplication. Winning people to Christ, building them in their faith, and then sending them out to do the same with others. We believe raising up the resources out of the harvest is the way to complete the task. Let me put it another way. Missions can launch, but it can't finish. Only local people who, if you're talking around the world, know the language and the culture and are employed there and, and the permanent residence, can really disciple people for Christ. So with that as background, understand that we are certainly seeking to help achieve the full scope of the Great Commission through spiritual multiplication, winning and building and sending in the power of the Holy Spirit and mobilizing as many people as possible to do that. In what venues do we do that? I think that's kind of the essence of your question. One is amongst students. Big surprise, Campus Crusade for Christ. Another is amongst leaders. Now, people may or may not know that the rationale behind reaching students is they're future leaders, but there are a lot of people that are current leaders in society. They might be political leaders. They might be business professional leaders or leaders in the not-for-profit segments in various ways in their communities. Uh, So we reach out to them. Also, we work through and with churches particularly in the building and sending part of what we do. And lastly, in the digital world. So those are the four uh, venues or audiences that we seek to
0: involve. Steve Douglas here on The Intersection. Learn more about Crew by going to the website crucrew.org. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast with Christian apologetics teacher and former journalist Lee Strobel. He and his wife, Leslie, visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center to talk about the upcoming movie depicting their spiritual journeys. It's called The Case for Christ. It's based on a book by the same name. Here now are Lee and Leslie Strobel. Hey, share with us what was going on within your heart and mind. You had given your life to Jesus Christ, right. and you were thirsty for the things yes. of God, you wanted to grow in this newfound faith. Yes. You had a husband at home who was not there, in fact, right. seemingly running as far and as fast as he could away from this. It caused great tension. What was going on in your heart? Right. Because obviously this is something you and Lee weren't sharing together. Exactly,
2: That was what was so hard because we met when we were 14 years old and we shared everything. We we understood each other and knew each other so well. And I once told Lee that it was like I had just gone on this wonderful vacation and saw all these wonderful sights and wonderful places to be. And it was giving me such a great view of the world and I couldn't share any of that with him Uh, or if I did it would cause anger and um, him lashing out so it was a very difficult season I just wasn't able to share it I would have to kind of hide it from him literally I would read the Bible in the morning and if I heard him coming down for breakfast I'd feel the need to hide it because it would just start an argument so yeah it was a rough time.
0: Leslie, for that person that is in a relationship where he or she may not be married to a Christian person, it could be a situation like yours where one of you actually had a relationship with Christ and the other didn't, or it could be whatever Mm -hmm. the circumstances, what would you say to that believing spouse with respect to relating to and praying for the unbelieving spouse. There would be three
2: things I would say. First of all, allow yourself to grow in your relationship with Christ. Uh, just keep in the Word, do studies, uh, try to grow and allow him to t- turn you into the person he wants you to become because your spouse will see the changes. I never saw those changes particularly, but Lee did, and it made an impact on him. Secondly, I'd say grow your relationship with your husband or your spouse because you got married for a reason. You love that person. You want to build on that relationship. You want to uh, not allow them to think that you love them less or think less of them because they aren't a believer. So you want to build your relationship with your spouse. Thirdly, I'd say if there's any way possible, get a mentor. I had Linda and she's the woman that led me to the Lord. But if there is someone that is trustworthy and able to be uh, a shoulder to cry on when you're struggling and maybe having arguments or something with your husband or questions, but they aren't the kind of person that will gang up on your husband and it won't be just you and your friend against your husband, but it'll be someone who will take the time to listen to you, but then be able to give you um, good godly wisdom on how to navigate that, that era and those situations so that at least it's it's a sounding board, but you can go home and not feel like you're in it with a lot of animosity. You can go back to your home feeling love for that person and wanting to just pursue them.
0: Well, Lee, you were a journalist. You were with the Chicago Tribune. You were the legal expert. You did basically legal work. Right. But you obviously, you were, if I can describe you as an investigative journalist. That's so right. So once Leslie had come to faith in Christ, you set out on a journey as mm. an investigator yeah. to collect evidence to basically disprove right. what Leslie believed in. Yeah. And it seems to me that the more, that, as the story goes, the more you investigated, yeah. the, the, the more you f- you found things that you did not want to find. Yeah, and that's exactly right. <laughs> you know,
3: it's interesting that Christianity uh, is unusual among world religions in that it invites investigation. Because <laughs> it, it was very yeah. clear to me, if you want to disprove Christianity, you can do it if you can disprove the resurrection. Uh, Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So that's the, that's the key issue. Did Jesus return from the dead and thus authenticate his claim to being the Son of God? Well, I thought I could disprove it, but what I found is the historical evidence for the resurrection, for the early accounts, too early to be mere legend, for the empty tomb that even the opponents of Jesus admitted was empty, to the nine sources we have inside and outside the New Testament that confirm and corroborate the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Uh, There is a strong historical case to be made that Jesus not only claimed to be divine, but he backed that up by returning from the dead. And that's what I ultimately uh, uh,
0: discovered through my investigation. Lee and Leslie Strobel here on The Intersection. Learn more about the film in theaters April 7th by going to the website thecaseforchristmovie.com. Well, The intersection continues now with Nick Hall. He is an evangelist, the founder of the Pulse Movement, and the author of the book, Reset, Jesus Changes Everything. In our conversation at NRB 2017, he talked about how the gospel is impacting young adults who desire to see a spiritual reset in their lives. This
4: is Nick Hall now. Yeah, I think uh, millennial generation is really looking for something that's authentic and real. Uh, they're looking for something that's their own, right? Not something that's sugar coated. We're not looking for plastic smiles. Uh, don't tell me everything's going to be okay, right? I mean, we want to hear. Uh, tell me about how this faith matters in real life. Uh, it matters with my broken home. It matters with my relationship. It matters matters with my self harm. Um, how does Jesus relate to those things? And so, I think uh, I think one thing that that we've really just seen is just that passion for authenticity and passion to truly encounter Jesus and follow him, no matter what it means, no matter what he says. um, I think we would rather have uh, a faith that is going to impact every day of the week than just be a Sunday Christian. And so I think that's one of the really exciting things about this generation is that they really are longing for a true expression. And uh, they really want to get their hands dirty. They want to get their feet wet. They want to live out the message. You know, being fake is a very... Uh, not Not what we want, you know it 's like man, I just we all know what it 's like to filter every picture we have we don 't want to live a filtered life you know i don 't want to have a filtered faith, um, I want to be sold out to Jesus, and so I think that 's what we 're tapping into and seeing God is really just stirring this generation, and we really do believe uh this is a revival generation, and so that 's what we 're going after. Well, you've written a book, you wrote it shortly before an event that you were involved in called
0: Together 2016, and the book is called Reset, Jesus Changes Everything. Tell me about the significance of the concept of a spiritual reset.
4: Yeah, well, the concept goes all the way back to when we were students uh, really praying for our campus, And, and the truth was we just had so many students that didn't have any faith background. And so they were coming from broken homes, broken situations. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't know words like discipleship or come and get saved or, you know, they didn't know any of it. And so it was a student that said, what we're praying for is a reset. And I said, okay, what do you mean? And he said, well, I play a lot of video games. And it was funny because he said it as if all of us didn't know that, right? (laughs) But, uh, But the truth was, I mean, we all knew it and we're kind of like, yeah, we know that you should shower more. Uh, But besides that point, we got into what reset means, and it literally means to get the system working toward its created purpose. Reset implies that something is wrong. That's what I love about the term. This isn't about uh, a message of, hey, everything's great. Everything can be good. Everything is hopeful. No, it's just something is wrong with the system. We've downloaded the wrong files. We've gone to the wrong places, and yet the person who made your phone, your computer, designed it to work a certain way. And so reset is supposed to, by definition, get it working toward that purpose again. And so as students, we started to unpack this a little bit and say, man, this is really what God offers when he sent Jesus on this rescue mission. Like, we are broken. We're sinful. uh, We've gone to the wrong places. We've downloaded the wrong files. We've looked at the wrong things. We've said the wrong things. And uh, we know that there's this kind of sin nature, right? And so when we come to Jesus, he's offering us this reset back to the life we were made for. And so for some, it's the first time I've never, ever put my trust in him. And for others, maybe you've been a believer, you've been going through the motions, and you need to stick a stake in the ground and come back to that first love. But we really believe that this is a message for this generation, from this generation, and really for everyone. And so that's kind of how it started. And so the book is really it's unpacking that message and applying it to seven areas of uh, you know, young people. were are praying these reset prayers, hundreds of thousands of them. And so we just said, man, what are some of the common themes that people need to reset from? Let's, let's see what the gospel says about that. Let's see what Jesus says about that. And then it's just the story. I mean, this is stories of students and just ordinary people whose lives are being changed, have been changed. It's the story of Pulse, us starting as students, and uh, just this whole movement, which, as you said, really culminated on the National Mall last summer.
0: From the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2017
4: National Religious
0: Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, that was Nick Hall. Learn more about the Pulse Movement by going to PulseMovement.com. This is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more by visiting the website MeetingHouseOnline.info. There you'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to, download, or share full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection podcast. Also, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast, receiving software, including iTunes each week. Two blogs can be found also. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Well, in Orlando at NRB 2017, the senior vice president of the NBA's Orlando Magic visited with me. His name is Pat Williams. He has written a new book called The Success Intersection, What Happens When Your Talent Meets Your Passion. With some insight, here now is Pat Williams. It's a book really challenging people to examine
5: their lives, figure out as young as they can, uh, where are you gifted? Uh, What talents do you have? And, And listen, we all have talent. In some area. Uh, God planted each one of them on this earth with certain skills and certain uh, interests and certain things that we're good at. With our gifts we're to put them to use, our talents. But then there's one key step here. Uh, You've got to have passion for what you're doing or it's not going to really be effective. And So that's why I think talent and passion, you know, go arm in arm. And so when they intersect, when they cross over, I think you've really found, mm. Bob, the, the, the secret to having a fulfilling life um, and, and, and then developing those talents. Uh, never stop working at it and, and improving your talents. And your passion, when you get good at something, Bob, is going to go right with you. You're going to be excited about it. You're going to be enthusiastic. Uh, you're going to have great energy. And uh, when those two come together, Bob, you've got, you've got dynamite mm. going on.
0: Well, and and I would imagine that you have some mismatches that are out there. You have people that have talent. They can do stuff, but they're not particularly passionate about it. Then you've got people that have real passion for things, but they may not... Have the (laughs) the skills. Particularly good at it. Yes. You know, and there are people that that are maybe trying to attain success in one particular field and they just don't have, I mean, God hasn't gifted them in that way. They they don't have that skill set. So, what would be your advice or your counsel to someone as far as finding some compatibility between these two elements of passion and talent? Uh, Bob, I think that's where parents come in or
5: grandparents. I, I know coaches and teachers come in here. Uh, youth workers uh, where they can sit down with their children and say listen I see some real skills here in leadership for example or uh, Mary you know what I love the way you write Uh, you've got a real gift here the way you use words and your creativity I really see some some future for you here we need to have the those frank conversations with our children you know when they're young so that they grow up being aware of what they're good at. And they don't have to be world class. But at some point, they're going to have to decide uh, what is the thing I do best. And this is where I want to get my education. This is where I want to really focus my life. And, Bob, that's a key word I just used, focus. So many people drift and wander. And they get off on the rabbit trails. And they begin to just maneuver, you know, just begin to wander mm-hmm. out there. Uh, I, I encourage people to uh, find that talent, find what you're really good at, uh, and focus on it. Uh, prepare yourself. Work at it. Uh, don't start wandering on the rabbit trails. Uh, don't start out there doing six or seven different things and, and that you're, you know, you're not really getting things accomplished. I this, I remember D.L. Moody once said, this one thing I do. <laughs> so did the Apostle Paul, didn't yep. he? Uh, yep, yep. Uh, D.L. Moody went on to say, "This one thing I do, not these many things I dabble with." That's good advice for us, and 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 so we can't do everything. Uh, we, we you know if we can do one thing well, and maybe a couple of things pretty well, uh, you're going to find you're going to have a rewarding life, and the passion is going to follow, Bob. When you start uh, having doing some things well and getting some results, getting good feedback, that's going to fuel your Energy and your passion and your zeal—you've uh, got to have that. And I've seen Bob over the years. So many ball players who had talent, uh, but they just didn't have any fire in their belly. Mm. Just didn't have the enthusiasm for it. And they had fair careers, pretty good careers. But the ones who have the great careers have great talent and an incredible work ethic, and
0: great, great passion for what they're doing. Pat Williams here on The Intersection. His website address is patwilliams.com. Well, The Intersection continues now with Jeremy Dice, Senior Counsel for First Liberty Institute. He and I sat down at NRB 2017. We discussed several cases, including the one involving a former Marine Corps Lance Corporal named Monifa Sterling. She posted some scripture at her workstation. She was charged and court-martialed. First Liberty is asking the US Supreme Court to take up her case, which has important implications for religious freedom, not only in the military, but in society at large. Here now with some analysis
6: is Jeremy Dice. Monifa was a Lance Corporal in the United States Marine Corps, and uh, she had posted on her computer work screen. She just printed out a piece of paper and taped it to her computer monitor, like everybody else did, many other uh, people in her office had done, with different inspirational phrases. She chose to print out a Bible verse, and the Bible verse said, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Uh, And her superior said that, I don't like the tone of that verse. You need to take it down. Monifa declined, and the next morning she came into the office and that paper had been removed from her computer, thrown into the trash can, so Monifa printed out another another piece, piece of paper, put it back up there on the monitor, and uh, that one was ordered to be taken down, and she refused to comply with that order. Uh, long story short, Monifa is uh, court-martialed in part because of that uh, refusal to abide by that order. And the court there, the military court in that case, said, look, uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act here, does not apply to you as a Lance Corporal because the posting of a Bible verse is not religious enough activity to merit protection under RIFRA. Under so we appealed that case to the Military Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. And uh, Paul Clement, former Solicitor General of the United States of America, he was Monifa's attorney at that case. And uh, surprisingly, the, the, the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces uh, agreed with the lower court judge. Uh, And so now we are appealing that to the Supreme Court of the United States because here's why this is so important. Uh, Number one, all of our members of the armed forces deserve the religious liberty that we possess and that they fight so hard to protect. And so when you go into the Marine Corps, when you go into the Army or any one of our branches of the military, you don't give up your religious liberty. You give up a lot of other freedoms, but you don't give up your religious liberty. So that's number one. Number two, if you're listening to this and you're not in the Marine Corps or in any other of the branches of the armed forces— Remember, this was a federal judge making this order. And so that applies not just to our men and women of the the armed forces. It goes deeper. It also applies to all federal workers. And by extension, when Title VII is interpreted and they see that opinion in the private sector, to you as an employee in the private sector as well, this decision is going to be very impactful for you. To say that a Bible verse, the posting of a Bible verse, is not sufficient religious activity to merit protection under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that, that's, a, that's a shocking thing. So we're hopeful that the Supreme Court of the United States will hear this case. And I wanted you to dig a little bit deeper when we talk about this uh,
0: circuit court, the, the, the military's, I guess the military's highest court ruling against Monica Sterling. So when it says that her posting a scripture verse is not religious enough to warrant protection under RFRA, how do you respond to that?
6: Well, I think the best way to respond to that is, number one, to appeal it to the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, keep in mind, there are 10,000 appeals every year to the Supreme Court of the United States, and just about 1% of them actually are heard by the Supreme Court itself. And so w- the other thing that I think responds well to that is that there are now seven different amicus briefs that have been filed urging the high court to take this case. Now, that may not be, mean much to your listeners, but put it this way, most of the cases at this stage that are just asking the court for review don't even receive one. Friend of the court brief, asking the court to take the case. We've now had seven, seven uh, that includes uh, 35 members of the uh, of the House of, of Congress. It includes the last uh, military religious liberty case, Dr. Simcha Goldman, uh, who heard his case in the 1980s. He's now asked the court to say, look, it was important for me then. It's important for our service members now. Uh, we've had a, uh, a, a a Lieutenant Colonel who's a Sikh in the in the Army. He's uh, he's taken the side to say, look, this is an important religious liberty case, uh, and all kinds of other professors and, uh, and uh, leading uh, lights of the religious liberty world, they've weighed in and say, look, this is so vitally important that if this decision is allowed to stand at the Military Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces or below that, it's going to have a tr- detrimental impact upon our service members, our servicemen and women, and it needs to be overturned. We are very encouraged by the fact that these several different court of, uh, um, amicus briefs have been filed now And we hope that the Supreme Court of the United States will, in fact, take this case and and rectify the wrong that's been done to Monifa. Jeremy Dice here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to the
0: website firstliberty.org. Well, finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Laurie Cardoza-Moore, the president of Proclaiming Justice for the Nations. In our recent conversation at NRB 2017, she talked about the importance of Christians standing with Israel. She also discussed the movie... Boycott this, featuring comedian Brad Stein. Here's Laurie Cardoza-Moore. We
7: hired a star, a comedian, Brad Stein, to actually go on a trip to Israel to find out what the truth was on the ground, but to use satire and wit to tell this story. Because this is a, a difficult issue, and it's been very, um, it's a, a, a tumultuous issue. We've seen the violence that's, that's happened over the land issue, and is Israel really an apartheid state? Are they mistreating the Arabs, the Palestinians in Israel? And so he went on, we took Brad on a journey to personally find out the truth. And he interviewed people that live in Israel, Israelis, Arabs, Palestinians, um, Christians, Jews. And it was amazing the information that he found, that the narrative that we hear so often in the mainstream media and even pushed by some Christian denominations is a false narrative. We ran into Palestinians who love living in Israel under the Israeli authority. There's a portion of the film that we call The, the Tale of Two Cities. We focus on the city of Bethlehem and the city of Nazareth, because those are two cities that Christians can relate to in Israel through their Bibles, the city of the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, and then the city where he grew up in Nazareth. However, since 1993, under Oslo, the Palestinian Authority has governed that region, has governed Bethlehem. Since 1993, since Oslo, over 80% of Christians have fled Bethlehem. Why? because they are being persecuted by the Palestinian Authority. That's not the narrative we hear. If we go to Nazareth, a city 70 plus miles north of Bethlehem, a city that is governed by the Israeli government, you have Christians and Jews and Muslims who all live together side by side. They're not, the Christians are not being persecuted in, in Nazareth. So that's a story that most Christians don't hear. Most of the world doesn't hear because the mainstream press has a separate narrative or a different, a false narrative, or as the president would call, fake news narrative.
0: So what is fueling this narrative? Why is it that Israel has become so disliked by many in the world community as you see it?
7: It's the same old hatred, anti-Semitic hatred. It's the hatred of the Jews that goes all the way back through time. Unfortunately, in modern times, we can remember what happened in in Germany with the Nazis, with Hitler. You know, Bob, before Hitler started to exterminate or murder the Jews, he started with a boycott. He delegitimized the Jewish people in the community by telling people, by telling Germans, do not buy from Jews. Well, here we are in 2017. And it really hasn't changed because now Israel is the Jew among the nations. And so now the focus is to delegitimize the state of Israel by accusing them of being a, an apartheid state. Where in Nazi Germany, they used the old tropes, the whole protocols of the elders of Zion, the lies that the Jews were, were uh, murdering children and taking the blood and baking the, their matzahs with the blood. They, were, they blamed the Jews for, um, throughout the centuries for the Black Plague and all kinds of illnesses. We can look throughout history, unfortunately, Bob, through Christian history, and we can see that during the time of the pogroms, during the time of the Inquisition, during the time of the Holocaust, it was Christians who participated in killing the Jews because they have believed this lie that God has done with the Jewish people because of the rejection of Christ. And if if we read again the whole Bible, God has a plan and a commitment to Israel. He is going to fulfill that commitment to Israel. And we play a role as Christians, as Gentiles, as, as the, the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 60, that in the latter days, the Gentiles would come to the Jews carrying their sons and daughters on their shoulders, bringing them their gold and silver. There's another prophecy that talks about how in the last days, the 10 men from the nations will grab hold of the tzitzit or the hem of the garment of a Jew and say, we want to go with you because we know God is with you. That's in the last days. And that is happening today. You see more and more Christians who are starting to reconnect to the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. They're wanting to go back and study the Bible from a Hebraic context.
0: Laurie Cardoza Moore here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website pjtn.org. Well, that just about does it for this edition of The Intersection podcast. This edition featuring highlights from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention at the Marriott World Center in Orlando, Florida. Well you can learn more about the Meeting House program and get connected to content by going to MeetinghouseOnline.info. There's a link to the download center. You could also get subscribed to the podcast through that site and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You could also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.